0: Beloved, even as we remembered, even as we mourned, even as we prayed around the eruption of war, it is a reminder that we can thank God, we should thank God for men of good courage and noble cause, of women of strong courage and noble cause. Uh, Beloved, the horrible travesty of war. Uh, In that context, we think of the Ukrainian President Zelensky who I understand was made the offer to be rescued by U.S. forces, but said, no, the fight is here. Or the 13 soldiers that were reported to have given their life uh, with an unwillingness to surrender a strategic one-acre island, Snake Island, to a Russian warship, and instead again were reported that they gave their life defending. Uh Beloved, strong men of good courage and noble cause. It is a reminder, not that we need it, but it does bring it, uh, front and center to our attention, that death is inevitable. Death is coming. And we know death brings one of two things, either eternal blessing or eternal punishment. It is a statement, it is a reminder that we must be ready. Now, for us in Christ, for us in the grace and forgiveness of god we look forward to eternity we look forward to heaven we long for heaven god also gives us in christ a foretaste now beloved our eternal, our abundant eternal life begins now, it begins at our conversion. Today is the first day of the rest of your life on this side of glory. And even today is the first day of the rest of your eternal life. We are new creatures in Christ Jesus. We are sealed in Christ with the Holy Spirit of promise given to us by God as a pledge to our inheritance. We are adopted by God to be his children now. We are joint heirs with Christ now. Beloved, all of this we enjoy now as a foretaste of what awaits us, what awaits you, what awaits me in heaven forever and ever. This is heaven on earth. We can think of Christ's great prayer. And we would pray, we would have a heart cry, Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. And that is done among God's people. That is done in the church. And beloved, I want us to consider this morning the most concentrated dosage of heaven on earth, a special time of special blessing, the time when we receive the clearest picture Of what heaven will be like on this side of eternity. This time, this day when the glory of God is put on display in its greatest measure. When the praise lifted up to God is most like the praise in heaven. The four living creatures in Revelation 4 verse 8. Who day and night do not cease to say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. Who is and who was and who is to come beloved angels around the throne of God in heaven, pure praise. We, beloved, get a foretaste of this every Sunday. We are getting a foretaste of that right here, right now, on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, as we gather together in a holy convocation unto the Lord. Every Sunday, beloved, is meant by God to be a great day for the child of God and we should approach it as such with this in mind expectantly beloved we earlier read Genesis chapter 1 please open your Bibles back there again I did that as a great reminder of the sovereign creator God of the universe and also as something of a segue into the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2 listen beloved as I read Genesis 2 and verse 1 to verse 3 This is after the six days of creation. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed and all their hosts. And by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. Beloved, this is the word of God read in your hearing. Please attend to it as such. Beloved, as we consider this holy day, the day that God has set apart, even as he read, the day that God has sanctified, there are three great epics this morning I want to consider around this holy day of God, the three great epics of consecration, conversion, and conviction. A statement that God gives us this one day as a gift of rest and refreshment for us, for you and for me, to lift our thoughts above our daily labors and our weekly troubles. And more importantly, where as new creatures in Christ Jesus with the indwelling Holy Spirit, we bring heaven down to earth and celebrate God as our creator and as our savior. Beloved, there is abiding relevance in one day out of seven that God sets apart for himself and for you and for me. So the first great epic of the holy day of God, of this one day, is the Father's consecration of this holy day. The Father's consecration of this one day. We read there that God set one day of the week apart. He blessed the seventh day, what we now would call Saturday. He blessed it and consecrated it. Now, as we consider this great epic of consecration in the Old Testament, there are two eras of this great epic. There is an era from creation to Moses, from Adam to Moses, and from Moses to Jesus. There is distinction, there's discontinuity between these two eras, and there is also continuity between the two. They are like two fish swimming in one stream. The first era that we'll look at, beloved, is from creation to Moses. Now, As we read the first two verses of chapter 2, we see there that God rested on that seventh day. Shabbat is the verb. It is better translated or perhaps more accurately understood as he ceased from his work, from his activity. It is a ceasing from a certain kind of activity. I remember back when my beloved family were doing time on the East Coast and my son Jaden was around eight years old and he was evangelizing one of his little eight-year-old friends in the neighborhood and he was sitting on the bottom of the stairs and was reading out of the Bible and he read this and then eight-year-old Jaden said, and by the way, that means he ceased from his creative activity. Like right, good, good, I'm glad, glad that you are listening. So, beloved, God ceased His work from creation of creation. There were six days of activity and then one day of rest. This is a day of quiet. This is a day of refrain. And beloved, understand this as we even track the holy day of God through the different epics that we will understand that God built into the framework of His creation this pattern of work and rest. So. He ceased from his work and also he blessed the day and he sanctified the day. The Hebrew word Kadesh. Uh, Just a few weeks ago we were blessed to celebrate the memorial life service of Jerry Davis. And one of Jerry's sons read a beautiful biblically accurate Kadesh, a Hebrew Kadesh. I listened intently to every single word so that at the end I could say amen. Uh, Kadesh, that's the word here, sanctified. The literal root meaning is to cut off or to separate, to consecrate, to make holy. For example, in Leviticus 11 verse 44, God says, be holy for I am holy holy be Kodesh for I am Kodesh so there is this consecration this hallowing of this one day of the week and what's taking place here is there is a stillness and a silence that has again come into the atmosphere of God's creation we could understand this as the holy awe of the creation for her creator and Revelation 8.1, as we go from the first book to the last book of God's revealed word that we have before us. In Revelation 8.1, we read that when he broke the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about 30 minutes. A holy awe of the creation for her creator. Now, when we think of this first era from Adam to Moses, understand this. On this seventh day, they got blessed and God sanctified. There were no restrictions from Adam to Moses. The people of God just celebrated and remembered God as creator, and they rested. So Adam and Eve, Abel, Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they celebrated. They remembered and rested on the seventh day, on what we would call Saturday. Saturday. And so just an application that we could take across 6,000 years of history, 4,000, 2,200 years of history from then to now is, beloved, stop trying and start trusting that we should be still. We wait upon the Lord. We rest in the Lord in general and on one holy day in particular. Psalm 4, verse 4, tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Beloved, that is the first era of this great epic of consecration the second error is from Moses to Jesus and what happens is as we come to the law as we come to the book of Exodus as we come to God giving the law to the nation of Israel through Moses when they were poised on the plains of Moab ready to go in and enter and take the promised land we see that this seventh day becomes the sabbath the sabbat of the rest the lowercase s sabbat of the rest becomes the capital s of the sabbath which becomes a sign even of the Mosaic covenant, of the old covenant, of the one conditional bilateral covenant of God. Turn, if you would, over to Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20 is where God gives the Ten Commandments to the nation of Israel. And in particular, we draw our attention <clears throat> to the fourth commandment. Exodus 20, and verse 8 God commands the nation of Israel, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. And and why? One could ask the question, okay, why some of the, the first three commandments we might have a more direct explicit understanding of the purpose. What's the purpose behind this one Lord? And God through Moses gives them the answer in verse 11. He says, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He sanctified it. Now, beloved, this fourth commandment is like the other nine commandments. It's very clear. You don't need to be a rocket scientist. You don't need to be a Hebrew scholar. You don't need to be a Greek scholar of the New Testament. It's very straightforward, very clear, very comprehensive. Uh, Later, in Leviticus 23, verse 3, we get a similar command, but with added details and elements to help us understand the application and ramifications for the people of God. Leviticus 23, verse 3, God says, six days work may be done, but on the seventh day there is a Sabbath of complete rest, a holy convocation. You shall not do any work, it's a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. So, the point is, it is a both and, it is a corporate gathering, a holy convocation and individual dwelling. So, the Sabbath, this observance for the nation of Israel, was not merely individualistic, it was individualistic, but it was also corporate, Beloved, for the nation of Israel, the Sabbath was a gathering and joining voices together for corporate worship in, even as the language of the text says, a holy convocation. And beloved, understand this, that the Sabbath, the commandment, is a gift from God to the people of God, to the apple of his eye, the nation of Israel. It was to be a day of remembrance, reflection, celebration, a day of worship, where similar to the ceasing of activity of God didn't mean you just sit in one place and you don't do anything. It made room for, it was intended for works of mercy, necessity, and piety with a heart and a focus on God, on the creator, God who himself rested. And this is as it was since the dawn of creation. Also, in Exodus 31, verse 17, there's one more element here that gives a beautiful picture, even in comparison to Yahweh, to the creator, God of the universe. It helps us understand his intent for the Sabbath for the nation. Exodus 31, verse 17, the Sabbath is a sign, God says, between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. God was refreshed. He was satisfied. He was delighted. Beloved, that was the intent. That gives meat and clarity to the understanding that it's a gift, that The nation of Israel would be satisfied, would be delighted in this one holy day because they are satisfied and delighted in the Giver of that holy day, God Himself. And beloved, built into the framework, as I indicated before, is or built yeah built in the framework of God's creation is this pattern of work and rest. And every nation and every culture in the world understands this, whether they want to admit it or not. I remember in our wonderful Thursday morning men's Bible study one time our own beloved Raymond shared An example of the situation where he was evangelizing an Indian gentleman in China. And you'll have to go to Raymond for the exact details. I'm probably brutalizing how this went in general. But Raymond basically told this man that was denying God as creator and denying the Bible. And something along the lines of, you yourself live in a way that testifies to the truth, the veracity of scripture. For example, what defines a day? Well, that's you know, the Earth's rotation—one rotation about its axis. What defines the month? That's the time between two identical lunar syzygies—between a new moon and an old moon, or full, I should say, new moon or a full moon. Well, how about what defines a year? Well, that's one orbit of the Earth around the Sun. Okay, what defines a week? God's creation account in Genesis. Period. There is no other explanation. Many countries, or at least not many, I should, or not many, some countries, some people, have even tried to kick against the goad and go against that. In 1929, the USSR changed from a seven-day week to a five-day week. That lasted for two years, and in 1931, they went to a six-day week. That lasted another nine years, and that was abandoned in 1940, and they went back to a seven-day week. France in 1793 during the French Revolution went to a 10-day week, but the people couldn't cope with it because, beloved, human bodies function on the sabbatical structure that God built into the framework of his creation all the way back in the Garden of Eden, even before the fall. We need rest every seven days, not every 10. And France's experiment lasted about as long, nine years, before they went back to a seven-day week. And, beloved, understand this. Every week, every day that passes by, every week, every country, every nation, every people group in the world, acknowledges, whether they want to or not, that God is the creator. Also, I'll make one more point in here. Understand this that rejecting a literal, clear, straightforward understanding of Genesis 1 through 11, of a young earth and a literal six-day creation, attacks and rejects God as creator. And if I can coin a word, it unblesses the seventh-day gift that God gave to humanity. Any old earth view attacks the foundation of this holy day and the blessing of God that comes with it. Beloved, that is the first great epic around this holy day is the father's consecration of it. The second great epic is the son's conversion. We move from celebrating God as creator to celebrating God as redeemer, from creation to redemption. And what we have when we think of the Sabbath and what we have now, which is the Lord's day, we have two holy days, two distinct days, Similar to what I said before, there is discontinuity between the two and there is continuity. Two fish swimming in the same stream. We transition when we come to the New Testament to the ministry and work and resurrection of Jesus from the seventh day to the first day, from Saturday to Sunday, from the Sabbath to the Lord's day. The sun converts it. There's a conversion from the sun. Many examples that we could look at in the life and times of Jesus. One thing that we should understand, I would say, is that many of the flashpoint conflicts between Jesus and the corrupt spiritual leadership of Israel at the time was centered very often intentionally by Jesus around the Sabbath. Because this was a commandment from God that was a gift to the people. And because of the perversion and the accumulation and piling on of man-made traditions and rituals on the Sabbath, they had turned what should have been a gift in the time of refreshment into an onerous burden that was like a plague on the backs of the people. And in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, Christ taught, that the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. It helps us understand the original intent. Luke chapter 6, verse 5, Jesus taught that the Son of Man, He Himself, is Lord of the Sabbath. He is, in the Gospels, the Lord of the Sabbath, guarding it against the tradition and the errors and the corruption of the Pharisees and any other man-made distortions from the true nature of the Sabbath as a gift from God to man. And so what Jesus did in his ministry was he restored the original meaning and rescued the Sabbath. He is, in essence, saying when he says the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath— You aren't in charge of the Sabbath, I am. You don't rule the Sabbath, I do. One thing we will say as well, should make note of, is throughout the Gospels, very often you will see Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Because he was completing, he was obedient to the true intent in his humanity of the Sabbath. And during his ministry, while he was alive here on earth, he wasn't yet setting aside the Sabbath. He was setting aside the abuse and the ridiculous man-centered souring of the Sabbath. So when we read the gospel account, he was not yet canceling the use of the Sabbath. He was absolutely, definitively, strongly canceling the abuse of The Sabbath. But when we come to his death, and even right before his resurrection or at the time of his resurrection, the last reference of godly believers in Scripture obeying the Sabbath rule of the old covenant is in Luke 23, verse 56. When they, the godly women, when the strong, mighty apostles and disciples had Fled in cowardice. These godly women were there. And they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. These godly women. Then we come to Luke 24 verse 1. On the first day of the week at early dawn. There is the dawning of redemption. There is the dawning, the sunbreak of the sun of righteousness Casting its light, rising above the horizon on the people of God. And Jesus Christ had his victory over the grave and rose on the first day of the week on Sunday. And beloved, in much of the very same way when we think of Christ in the upper room, for example, when he celebrated the last supper of Passover and then observed and started the first supper of Communion. When he made this transition, this conversion from the Passover to the Lord's table, in very much the same way there is this conversion at stake, or or conversion in the situation, he finished the last Sabbath and began the first Lord's Day. Also, in very much the same way that the Lord's table, communion, memorializes his, what, crucifixion, so also the Lord's Day memorializes his resurrection, when we go forward from the Gospels into the Epistles through the rest of the New Testament, in both the teaching of Jesus in the Gospels and then also in the Epistles, the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, is the only commandment that wasn't reaffirmed by Jesus. This commandment, the fourth commandment of observing the Sabbath, was fulfilled by Jesus. And that's why the Apostle Paul, for example, in Colossians chapter 2 Uh, When Paul was writing to this beloved Colossian church that he loved and he prayed for on a daily basis, even though he had not visited it, this is the words of encouragement he gave them around the Sabbath. Verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote to them and said, Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink, or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Watch this, verse 17. Verse 17. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So, beloved, the point there is in this conversion, the shadow of the Sabbath has become the substance of the Lord's day. And what Paul's point here is he's saying, why cling to a shadow when the shadow casting figure has came and has arrived? The Sabbath was the shadow. The reality is Christ. The reality is in Christ. Uh, Charles Spurgeon had these great words that tie in well here. He said, we gather together on the first rather than the seventh day of the week because redemption is an even greater work than creation. Our Lord has lifted the Sabbath from the old and rusty hinges where the law had placed it long before and set it upon the new golden hinges which his love fashioned. He's placed our rest day not at the end of a week of toil, but at the beginning of the rest which remains for the people of God. End quote. Beloved, when we think of the work of Christ, after his death and the resurrection, there is no more six-day Sabbath observation. There is an eternal rest of Sabbath that we will enjoy in the final great epic in heaven. But there is no more six-day Sabbath restrictions. We can look at it this way. Jesus took the Sabbath with him into the grave, and he came out of the grave with the Lord's Day to give to you and to me right here, right now. So we meet on the first day of the week to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And beloved, when the Lord stepped out of that empty tomb, the week was never the same. Sundays were never the same again. And the Sabbath was a time to celebrate and commemorate creation. The Lord's Day is a time to celebrate and commemorate the new creation. The individual new creation in Christ Jesus and the corporate body of Christ, building of God, bride of Christ, new creation that we enjoy and are part of. And Since we, since the people of Israel in the old covenant, and now since we, Jews and Gentiles together, since we should rightly celebrate God as lawgiver, how much more so do we celebrate him as Savior? He is both the lawgiver and the Savior. And as we would continue through the New Testament, many examples, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2, on the first day of every week. Acts 20, verse 7, the first day of the week. Or we could go to the last book of God's written revelation, the book of Revelation. And when the apostle John was describing the wonderful vision that he had, he says in Revelation 1, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And that's the one and only identification of Sunday, the first day of the week, as the Lord's day. And I love it. God said it. That settles it. Many times, will God will repeat something multiple times, but in the last book, one time, the Lord's Day. So we will take that, and we will run with that. Beloved, Jesus has owned Sunday, the Lord's Day, his day, uniquely, Ever since that first Sunday when he stepped out of the tomb, every Sunday since is for the child of God, for the daughter of God, for the son of God, a weekly celebration of his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the grave. And point we'll make, mark this, it's the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's morning. It's not the Lord's hour and 15 minutes. This isn't our stop on the way to the beach. This is a time to focus and dedicate ourselves to the Lord. Everything we own, all our resources we know belong to God. We are stewards, we're not owners. Beloved, in the same way, all of your days, all of my days belong to God. However, every day, all seven days of the week, however, there is a special day God has a special ownership of Sunday, of the first day of the week, of the Lord's day. Those are the first two great epics. We now, as we come to the third great epic, after we move from the Father's consecration, from the Son's conversion, thank you, (laughs) from the Father's consecration to the Son's conversion, now we move to your, to our conviction around this holy day. This is the center of gravity, the point of application. What does this mean for you and for me today, right now? This is our conviction of this holy day. The 19th century pastor in the Free Church of Scotland, Donald MacDonald, said this. He said this in 1985, a generation ago. He said, it's not too much to say that we owe most, if not all, the blessings we enjoy to the Lord's Day. Without it, there's no true Christianity. And without Christianity, there's no real lasting spiritual blessing. That we in our generation are in danger of losing this day altogether. Few serious-minded men or women would dispute. Among the portentous signs of the present time, there's none more appalling to all who love God and venerate his word than the systematic violation and destruction of the Lord's Day. End quote. And again, he said that a generation ago. Beloved, there is, as we follow this thread from the beginning to now, there is abiding relevance in this one day, this one holy day set apart by God. And the sermon title here this morning is my point for this last great epic, How to Hallow the Holy Day. How to Hallow the Holy And I'm going to give you three encouragements on how to do this. Prepare your heart before this holy day. Protect your worship during this holy day. And purpose your response after this holy day. And when you purpose your response after this holy day, that fits fits right back into the first one. And the happy cycle, the holy cycle, continues. First, beloved, prepare your heart before the Lord's day. We want to maximize our stewardship of this one day that is given to us by our creator. It requires preparation. It requires heart preparation. I love the statement which has been said often, well said, is that Sunday morning begins Saturday night. That's a very true and sound statement. There is an element where, in a sense, Sunday morning begins as soon as we leave Sunday morning. Your heart preparation, our heart preparation for next week's service begins the minute we leave this week's service. And one example I brought out, and there are many that would have a general kind of picture of this kind of preparation, is from Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. When Christ taught the disciples, when Christ teaches you and me, if therefore you're presenting your offering at the altar... And there, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. So, When we think of that, he's saying just when we come to present an offering, and we understand that we are in the new covenant, not the old covenant. Beloved, when you get up, when you come here this morning, just to come and to sing and to encourage one another, or to serve in the children's ministry, or to set up chairs, or to do this or that, that is your presentation of your offering to the Lord. And this is one example of many that tells us there needs to be a heart preparation before that. Our heart preparation begins... First and foremost, with understanding, it's not about me. It is about God. Not to me, O Lord, not to me, but unto you. Unto you, O Lord God. Forgive my sins. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. This should be the heart cry of every believer. John chapter 1, verse 9. It's characteristic of all believers at all points in time, or at least it it should be. But with a special application and meaning to come together on this holy day. I uh, was in a, I had a board of directors meeting in a creation ministry up in Peoria all day Friday from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and then uh, yesterday. And I was driving up to the board of director meeting in Peoria. It was actually 59 miles. And I left my house at 5.15 a.m. I thought I'd you know, beat the rush hour traffic and enjoy the carpool lane. Um, I won't tell you how fast I was driving, but I was going with the flow of traffic. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> and in Northern Scottsdale, all of a sudden I get my, I get this uh, your engine's overheating. I have no idea where this came from, and to the point where my car started losing power um, i've had the car for a little while. I know I have uh, you know the, the the whatever the flashing what do you call those the <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those red things. <laughs> um but I, I never paid attention never used them for. So I'm turning on the right signal. I'm starting to have cars honk at me because I'm going slow. And I'm like, you know, where are the warnings, you know, warning lights are. And anyway, I make it over, I get off, I'm get off, I stumble off to this uh you know exit. I'm in this little North Scottsdale neighborhood, you know, totally dark, nothing, you know, nothing near. Turn the car off, look at the owner's manual, it wasn't helpful at all, other than it let me know where the warning lights are. <laughs> so, you know, car's off, I turn, but oh, comes back on, no warning light. Okay, great. And I drive, again, it was almost exactly halfway, make it to Peoria. Um, I have the meeting, I'm coming back in the evening. Okay, this is good, maybe it's an electrical glitch. About halfway, exact same thing, <laughs> halfway there, comes on again. Now I know where the warning lights are, so hey, I'm I'm ready. Make it off, you know, same thing, get off. I actually bought a, uh, a jar of a coolant. At a, I made it to a gas station this time, but I wasn't going to sit there for an hour or whatever it takes for an engine to cool. But same thing, turn it back on. You know, was able to make it back home. Come Saturday morning, yesterday morning, I'm like, okay, I'm not messing with this. So I Ubered from my house to PR and I Ubered back. All this to say, I had an hour with my Uber driver. His name was Elijah on the way up there. I let him know where I was going, why I was going there, and that was a great opening. Uh, Elijah started a 20-minute tirade and litany of all his complaints against, you know, the church and Christianity, most of which were valid. Uh, He spoke for 20 minutes, and then he allowed me to speak for 20 minutes. So it was a wonderful opportunity to present the gospel. One of his primary complaints, the primary issue that I dealt with, and I I had many answers to many things he was saying, I focused, of course, on faith and works. Uh, for the gospel, but one of his major complaints that he brought up a few times was the hypocrisy of Christians, how they would have this facade, that's my word, you know, put on a face when it came to Sunday morning, but as soon as they get in their car and drive away, it's a totally different person, and that was one of the many complaints he had that I said, I, I completely agree with you. Beloved, the point here is this, is we need to beware hypocrisy in all aspects of our life, including our treatment, including our preparation for our worship on this holy day. We need to make sure that our behavior when we're not here, whether it's driving away or driving here or when we're home, especially in front of our family and in front of our co-workers, lines up with our behavior as we gather together. We need to pray excuse me, that our hearts would be soft to the refining spotlight of the word of God. We need to pray for God to bless the service, bless the fellowship, bless the ministry of the word and ask God to prepare our heart and the hearts of all the people. So we are to prepare our hearts before and we are to protect our worship during the Lord's day. Is it out of habit or is it from the heart? Is it just duty Or is it duty and delight? Do we worship distractedly, listen occasionally, leave early, and remember little? Turn to Malachi chapter 1. I made reference to this as we were praying over the offering and thanking God for his provision. Malachi chapter 1 God has a series of disputes with the nation of Israel, starting with the leaders. And in chapter 1, verse 6, God says to the nation, to the leaders, God says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? And what God is saying there is that pagans, unsaved people, honor their mother and father and you, my chosen nation, you're not honoring me, you're not respecting me even as an unsaved person would respect and honor their father, their mother, their master. Would we bring a bag here today, would we bring a bag of garbage and put it in the offering plate as it was going by? Uh, I was studying, doing my final sermon preparation, as I do pretty much all the time, back in the youth room before the first service. Uh, Sweet Marissa Frazee came in to prepare the room for her wonderful ministry to the children's ministry. I thanked Marissa for her ministry to the children, and she she thanked me for my preparation. She actually said preparation. Now, would she thank me for my preparation if I picked up the Bible for the first time Saturday afternoon and thought about, well, what am I going to suck out of my thumb to give to the people tomorrow morning with all my stories and such? I may have told this story before when our beloved family first moved here to Arizona. We went to a big church in Scotland. I won't mention the name to protect the guilty, a big Bible church in Scotland. And uh, we were sitting there during the sermon, and I remember Margie grabbed my arm and she said, Clay, they're taking notes. People are, what are they writing down? You know, the, the chicken was, I mean, there's, there's no scripture. It's all stories. Beloved, the point here is whether it's a ministry from the pulpit, whether it's a children's ministry, whether it is setting up chairs, we want to give our first fruits. We want to give our best to the Lord as the steward. And when we think of time, when we think of days, are we giving the Lord lame, blind leftovers in our schedule and our energy? Again, we... Should dedicate to the Lord the first fruits even of our outlook calendar, especially on this holy day. The great example is King David in second samuel twenty four uh, David wanted to bring an offering to the Lord in response to his sin, not the sin of murder and adultery, but another sin of not trusting the Lord by taking a census and Aruna wanted to give David materials for the offering, but the verse reads that the king said to Aruna. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. Watch this. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. Beloved, James Montgomery Boyce had these good words. He said, Let us be done with the long faces and solemn demeanors that so often characterize the people of God on the Lord's day. Now, that does not at all, in my experience, truly from the heart, characterize my beloved Santan Bible Church. But as always, we can always excel yet more. And Dr. Boyce continues, let us be done with the type of worshiper who comes to church only to go home. If you don't enjoy the worship of God and the fellowship of God's people, if you don't enjoy the preaching of the word and the response of the congregation to work and song, stay home. Stay home. Beloved, the key here in our heart preparation, the key here in the protection of our worship, is it's not about activity. The key is not even about the absence of activity. The key to the day of the Lord, to the Lord's day, I should say, the day that is set apart by the Lord to the Lord, is it's less of a focus away from something and more of a focus towards something, towards someone. When we give God this rightful priority, it will be, beloved, a blessing to you, a blessing to your family, your work, and even to your play. And a great testimony to your children and to your family and coworkers. So prepare your heart before, protect your worship during, lastly, purpose your response after God's holy day. We know that we are accountable for the truth that we hear. And we're commanded to be obedient. James chapter 1, verse 22, James said, God said through James, prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. We understand we're not saved by doing. We're not saved by obeying. But we do and we obey because we are saved. And how do we show our love for God in our response as we purpose our response to the gathering of the saints? I love what one man said. He said, enter in on the lookout for God. Leave on the lookout for people. And people will often ask, well, can I do X, Y, Z on the Lord's Day? And very often the best answer is to answer that question with a question, why do you ask that question? It's, again, not so much about what you do or don't do. What are your priorities? What is your focus? What is your dedication? We shepherd and train our children at a broad level. We want to train them with disciplines, whether it's diet, exercise, first and foremost, of course, spiritual disciplines, work ethic. We train that because we want to draw them from constraint to conviction. We want them to grow up to own their disciplines for themselves in the same way that is how We are to purpose our response for our stewardship of this gift from God to you and to me, the Lord's Day. And the reality is, we live in a culture where people no longer, I think, even seem to argue about the Lord's Day because many professing Christians simply ignore it. Uh, You know, churches, you don't want to mess with your Sunday. Well, we have a Saturday evening service, and it's, it's, that way it doesn't even make a dent in your Sunday service, and it's at night when you couldn't go out and play anyway, so no problem. Uh, people may react to the whole idea of hallowing the holy day. Uh, I mean, who are you to tell me what to do with my time? Brother, sister, it's not your time. It's God's time. It is either desecration of the day or dedication of the day. Even that, someone might say, I mean, I mean come on. You know, lighten up. You know, <laughs> come on, man. Wait. You know, desecration, a hollowing of the holy day. You're kind of laying it on thick. Beloved, since God calls this day holy, shouldn't we as the children of God be concerned about whether or not we're desecrating it? Shouldn't we be concerned about hallowing something God declares to be holy? J.C. Ryle said, Let us never forget our feelings about Sundays are sure tests of the state of our souls. The person who can't find pleasure in giving God one day of the week is manifestly unfit for heaven because heaven itself is nothing but an eternal Sabbath. If we can't enjoy a few hours in God's service once a week in this world, it's plain we couldn't enjoy an eternity in his service in the world to come. And beloved... As I indicated, I think, at the beginning, our purposeful response leads us right into our preparation. And the seven-day cycle, the seven-day happy cycle, holy cycle, continues. Beloved, understand this. What does God expect of you on Sunday? That you would celebrate him as Savior. Not as much in celebrating creation, but more importantly, celebrating the new creation. Understand, you're not forbidden to work. You're not forbidden to play. But understand, your highest calling, your highest joy is worship. Don't ask, what should I not do on Sunday? Ask, what should I do? More to the point, where should I focus? Beloved, simply put, the best way to love the Lord's day is to love the Lord of the Lord's day. The best way to hallow the holy day is to hallow the Holy One behind The holy day. Beloved, let's make the best of the best day of the week for the Lord, for our Joy. Please join me as we go to the Lord. And actually, one, one thing before I do that, um, I ran out of time, but I commend to you. So two weeks from today, we will begin our exposition of the book of Hebrews. Next week, the chairman of our elder board, Tim Palin, will be bringing the word when I'm in California for the Shepherds Conference. But I commend to you, read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11, and chapter 10, verses 19 through 25, in preparation, even talking about the eternal salvation. Sabbath rest which is the final great epic in our journey to the Lord now beloved please join me as we go to the Lord in prayer Lord God we praise you and thank you Lord we thank you again for our salvation we thank you for your word we thank you for the joy that we have being part of the family of God part of the body of Christ we praise you and thank you Lord for the foretaste of heaven that we enjoy for the newness of life we enjoy in Christ of the praise and worship which even in some ways, the praise and worship now that we do is even a shadow of the substance that will be eternally realized in your presence forever and ever in heaven with you. And it is for your glory and for your honor, Lord Jesus, that we pray and that we sing, that we desire to depart from here, to be used by you for your glory, for our joy, for one another, and to witness to a lost and dying world. Amen.